What's up, guys? Today we have Garrett Flower on the on the show. This one was really enjoyable for me and Mark. Uh, Garrett is a really uh, interesting guy. He started multiple businesses. the The first one that we talk about is Crust, which was a, a bakery business slash cafe business slash um, wholesaling business. After that, uh, he gets into technology. He's now the CEO of two tech companies, uh, Park PNP um, and park office um, two kind of different different uh, slants on the parking tech uh, business uh, but he's doing incredibly well really really interesting story we talk about how you can go from one industry to another um, and what it takes to do so uh, and also just kind of what the, the value of uh, just knocking on doors really really interesting conversation and we're going to kick it over to the guys in studio Welcome to the Shark Pod, the podcast that explores business and lifestyle design in Ireland and beyond. And now, live from Greystone Studios, here are your hosts, Luke Curry and Mark Baker. What is up, Shark Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Shark Pod. Um, as usual, we're coming to you live from Greystone Studios. Mark Baker out there in Glenageary. How are you doing, Mark? Good, Luke. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We've got Garrett Flower on the line here, a CEO of both Park Office and Park PNP. How are you doing, Garrett? Hey, guys. Delighted to be on. <laughs> Delighted to have you here. Um, sorry for the mix-up earlier on. We, we've been sending emails to the wrong uh, email address and stuff like that beforehand, so we're delighted that everything is uh, sorted out here. Um, so just to give a little bit of background to our uh, to our uh, listeners here, uh, Garrett was the founder of uh, Crust originally, um, which is a, a bakery in Dublin City, um, also uh, kind of bakery cafe, um, and also um, he was uh, independent, or was it the Irish Independence, uh, 30 under 30, twice, if I'm not uh, mis- mistaken, is that right, Garrett? Yeah, twice, twice, thankfully. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, so returning champion there. Um, and now you're running uh, two companies, Park Office and Park PNP, uh, which are platforms for uh, managing uh, parking spaces uh, so people can get the most out of them. Um, so looking forward to digging into that as well. Um, but, uh, Garrett, when you, when you, um, when you start, first started out uh, after college, I guess, what what kind of got you into the the baking scene, or is it something that you was just a passion of yours? Uh, because I saw from your LinkedIn that you were in Dublin Business School and you were uh, you're doing like business marketing and stuff like that. But or sorry, uh, accounting and finance. So accounting and finance doesn't really scream uh, baked goods to people. Uh, what got you into that? Yeah, so so I suppose like like many people, um, I just had an itch from an early age. Um, to start new things and I was I was very creative early on um, so I would sell things in school and in and uh, like pot noodles you know I would I would sell anything from sweets to pot noodles in school and, and make a few pound off that and in college um, I've started doing a bit of what you'd call nightclub promotion okay. uh, slash pre-drinking in my apartment um, which turned into a, a, a business I was then one of the first hundred uh, listers on Airbnb. Uh, really? <laughs> so bladed, yeah, out of my so bladed house in uh, in Dublin city centre, and uh, and so I've always been pretty creative and resourceful, um, 
And I suppose leaving college, I was trying to create a new business opportunity. Um, and I started to look into new uh, ideas. And I was fortunate enough that I had met another guy um, who you might know, Devin Hughes from, from Buy Me. Um, shout out to Devin, a Shark Pod alum. Yeah, yeah, shout out to Devin, uh, getting a lot of press these days. He is getting a lot of press, he's all over the place, we were just talking about that before. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and uh, so myself and Devin met at the uh, towards the end of college and started running these night uh, events and making money from that, and we were just fairly keen to start a new business post-college together, so put our heads together and I, we, we realized that, so my dad is a farmer in Longford and had 80 acres of land. We we're trying to figure out ways we could use that. Um, and we came up with the idea, a brilliant idea of setting up a solar farm, okay. a renewable energy solar farm. And, uh, okay, from nightclubs to solar energy. I like the, I like the thinking path here. Yeah. 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 Well, the world is your oyster, you know? <laughs> so we, we started, uh, brainstorming and researching. We even did a sustainability report and tried to get the SEAI involved. And it actually attracted um, a consultant, one of the world's foremost um, experts in renewable energy, a guy called Diego Belmonte. And we sent it to him and he said, this is a fantastic project, guys. And he was so impressed by the project, he brought us out to L.A., and um, we went with them to view LED factories in New Mexico. And then in LA, we were pitching. Um, we were part of his pitch to uh, the third largest real estate uh, company in America called SunCal. And we were pitching uh, renewable energy for all of their real estate projects. And, you know, he brought us over to talk about the benefits of PV solar cells. Um, and it was just brilliant. It was a brilliant experience for two 21 year olds. And we got involved in a pre IPO at 21 and raising money to try and make that happen. But that's a different story for another day. Um, Devin and myself parted ways. Then when we came back to Ireland, we, we tried to set up one or two other things, uh, led selling, but the market was just, as you know, uh, pretty depressed back back then at the, the early stages of the last recession yeah. and people were very unwilling to to spend on anything let alone led lighting uh, which saves 80 percent of of the cost you know um so devon went on to 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 work at a couple of different companies and i worked for dbs which is the college i went to um uh, and studied accountancy and finance and while I was there, I tried to set up an entrepreneur society, you know, uh, to get people around the table talking about new ideas. And people forget that, you know, entrepreneurship is relatively new in terms of this whole trend. Um, you know, back when when I was starting out with, with Devin, like, no colleges had an entrepreneurship course. You know, there was none of this innovation ecosystem uh, conversation going on and and when i sent out an email for an entrepreneur society i got one email back and uh, it was it was from a guy called rob kramer and rob is a big austrian guy who's a bodybuilder so 
very yeah. unusual that he showed up to my house that uh, evening uh, to talk entrepreneurship with a big basket of pastries. Okay. And um, strudel and all that. I'd imagine that type of thing. Or... Yeah, yeah, like Arnold Schwarzenegger with pastries. Just nice. picture it, like you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he showed up, and these pastries had like the most amazing tastes. So they were like strawberry and yogurt pastry, dark chocolate and raisin, coconut. Like none of this had been in the Irish market before. And I just tasted them and said, wow, you know, these are the most amazing pastries I've ever had. Like, why don't we sell these into coffee shops around Dublin at the weekend? So for the next three weekends, he, you know, me and him baked in my apartment and burned half of it <laughs> and uh, started selling into cafes around Dublin. And within four weeks, we had 30 coffee shops buying. Um, and we were literally, it was mental. Like we were baking, putting the pastries in baskets. I would then walk with the baskets and try and sell them door to door into, into coffee shops. And like, it's, it's, it's interesting how the business scaled. We, we uh, initially got a contract baker in Cork to start um, making it on a larger scale. And then we, um, we quickly started to realize that supermarkets would be a bigger opportunity. So we went to Super Values Direct um, and we, we had phenomenal success. Um, so much so that we actually got um, then an exclusivity agreement with three of Europe's largest bakeries. <laughs> it's just, sorry, can I pause you there? This is the, the it's the most uh, like straightforward uh, kind of, both, both of the businesses that we discussed so far, is like, so we, we thought this was a good idea. And then they flew us out to California. I think you're making yeah. it sound a little bit easier than it is. But then we got this, this, this guy came over, he had very delicious stuff. Then, Everyone in Europe bought our pastries, or you know, like it's uh, it's all <laughs> yeah, it's mental. It's uh, so what it's is, the what's the time frame from like him saying here's a piece of strudel to you guys kind of get it into the, the supermarket uh, game? Yeah, so so I'll break it down into more micro, like, yeah. like it's very hard work, right? So, like, it, essentially, you have to be a little crazy, uh, myself and Rob. Like he was baking and I was literally walking up and down Georgia Street with a basket of pastries and greaseproof paper on top and walking in to a coffee shop and saying, hey, would you like to buy this basket of pastries? Not knowing what the price was, not knowing what the costs were, just fairly keen to sell that basket for whatever I could get and see if there was a market and validate what we what we had. And Thankfully, we had a very high sales rate. I mean, 90% of places around that that I went into bought, and that was extremely um, gratifying and exciting. Like, I mean, the first basket of pastries I sold, I think, was for 30 quid, and I'd say we probably made about two euro. You know, the basket <laughs> itself was like 20 quid from Musgraves, you know. <laughs> and that's excluding labor, you know. It was just... It was it was mad. And then how we scaled up was when you have your validation of your business, which we did, we started to try and outsource it to scale. And we realized that supermarkets would order a lot more than a, than a coffee shop. And so I went to uh, Super Value in Longford, um, where the manager, Roy Davis, uh, where I'm from, Longford, uh, I sat down and I said, Roy, 
you know, we're a new business. We're trying to get off the ground. Would you have a taste of these? And he tastes them and he ordered seven cases. So seven cases is the equivalent of four baskets times seven. So, you know, 28, 28 baskets in one order. Um, and he said, oh, I'll take that every week, you know. So that was one super value who multiplied the business. And we, on the way back to Dublin that same day, we stopped in six other super values and got the exact same order. Wow. Um, wow. So, so like we were bringing something new to the market that the market had been saturated with plain croissants, baguettes, yeah. bread for 20 years with Cuisine de France. You know, it's like the chicken filler roll was the most innovative <laughs> thing we could think of, you know. Yeah. Uh, so... So we were bringing something new to the market. We brought sourdough to the market before everyone else. And, you know, this, this is the sort of things that, that helped us to get such a high throughput in sales. And that's the real micro of it. Um, and we, we used the success of that uh, to, to attract other large bakeries around uh, Europe uh, to give us an ex- exclusivity agreement. And we said we're the fastest growing bakery brand in the UK and Ireland, you know, so, so, and they, they wanted to break in just as much as we did. So micro, uh, going micro again, like we, we grew organically. We didn't have any investments uh, early on. So we asked the second largest bakery in Europe, um, would they give us this license exclusivity? Um, and, and, the sales director flew over and, and met me and uh, Rob and we were only two young lads. So I invited my dad um, to, to sit in on the meeting. And I said, How this broken is Will. The deal. That's the- yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad with the gray hair. And I said, this is Will. He's our sales director. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, look, we, we, we winged it a bit and, but, we brought him, we put him up in the Westbury. We presented a really good case. We went out for a few beers after and he, he really liked what we had done so far and gave us three years exclusivity. So wow. on top of that, what was the most exciting part was he gave us uh, two, two pallets for free of the product, you know, to get going. And, uh, or was it five pallets? It was, it was a pretty, it was enough that we could, get off the sell those pallets and then reinvest the profit into more, more pallets, which became containers. Um, and we became then the largest supplier of donuts in, in the country in 2017. Um, wow. Wow. we supplied apple greens and Tesco's nationwide, um, and super values from Dingle to Donegal, you know, so it was, uh, three failed attempts to break into the UK market. Um, what? But uh, we, we used the money then to set up three coffee shops in Dublin city centre and Georgia Street and Angel Street and uh, and uh, Kildare Street. Um, so we had, we had um, you know, we grew quite quickly. I was 20, 24, 25, and I employed 45 people. You know, wow. it's a quick learning, a quick learning curve. Um, learning curve we used to do things like we were rewriting the book for ourselves like we we had a site our big site on georgia street um which which had a big basement so we couldn't think of what to use it for so we put a ping pong table down there <laughs> and it was like the google of coffee shops we were trying to create and we were we were saying people would come in with their cvs every day and we'd say to them look if you can beat us in ping pong you got a job <laughs> 
And uh, it was a great way of like getting to know someone actually is over a game of ping pong. Uh, and uh, if they played, they showed that they were open and, and up for a chat. If they, if they couldn't, you know, they were yeah. not able for, for the back and forth of a customer. So, um, and tell yeah, me. really, really, really exciting journey uh, for those few years that I was involved with, with Crust, you know. Which one, which type of bit? So it's kind of like the the first one where you're kind of like uh, being the supplier, I guess, of the uh, of the goods. And then you're being uh, kind of more of the delivery of that in the in the cafes. Was there either one, which one would you prefer or say if there was someone starting out with the business, would you say, okay, maybe go open a coffee shop rather than uh, be kind of a distributor. What, what do you think? Which business do you prefer? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And um, essentially, we actually created three different businesses in the one business, which, which was extremely hard and, um, and caused eventually a burnout for both Rob and myself. We, we started in, in essentially wholesale. So we're baking manufacturing and then we decided exclusive distribution rights from the three largest bakeries um was much easier because we were essentially calling customers seeing who's interested in an order and then fulfilling the orders and that could be done through phone and email so we wouldn't have to leave the office and we were we were you know supplying containers of of breads to supermarkets which you know in one email you could have one email thread which which brings you in 30 40k and um, wow. you know where whereas with a coffee shop <laughs> you know we we got into a coffee shop more because we thought we you know let's build a brand let's create this next starbucks of, of bakery yeah. uh, the album pan of europe you know and um it, it, you know, when I look back and I hear all the advisors telling me, you know, retail is really, really tough. Uh, you know, you go in with the optimistic, you know, uh, naive, ah, sure to be grand, you know, we'll, we'll knock it out of the park. Yeah. And in fairness, we did early on. Um, and you've been flying for everything else you've ever done. So you're like, this is going to be, yeah, this is going to be, yeah, yeah. Coffee. Well, so, we, we weren't, you yeah. know, we, yeah. I, I've been through some, some early failures. Um, but, but in terms of what we had, we were so confident and strong with our product. Like everybody couldn't imagine, like everybody who tasted this thing was just like, like, this is delicious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So we essentially then um, got a small, we said we'd test the market first. We got a small site in Andrew Street right across from DIT College and uh, like literally had two seats at the window and it was tiny. And it's now Dublin Pizza Company, actually, um, which do the, you know, the the serve out. Yeah. And uh, we did these massive crustinator sandwiches um, and donuts and like, like, I still had some friends in college, you know, and uh, in DIT. So they'd all come in and like five people in the shop would make it feel jammed. Yeah. And uh, it was just a really good, good fun, uh, good buzz. And we went from that in the same year, we opened our second shop on Georgia Street, which which sat 44 people. That's so the we main one. Two down. seats at the window to 44, which, I mean, do you know, talk about like, running two different businesses 
it was mental and that's where cracks started to happen you know we we had uh, a, a big knowledge gap you know from from going uh, from one business that was doing well to an extremely different business with no experience not just starting out but then going straight into probably the most prime real estate in dublin you know and uh and that was just the opportunistic uh, naivety we had um now it did work out uh we were we were growing extremely quickly we then decided to um to open a catering business to open to to offices a lot of offices in the area came in and were like gee we love your stuff we'd love to order it every morning and lunchtime would you do that and like i mean it's very hard to say no to business when you're young yes um, and it's one of the biggest learnings i'd say on this is like it's extreme you need to know your limits and it's extremely difficult to say no but it's it's really important you find out what what is viable and what isn't um early on and or else you go down a rabbit hole and for for us we um we had essentially three different businesses uh on the run luke so so if you ask me which is easier i would say i would say if i could do it again i'd prefer to do the wholesale but it's extremely difficult to get into that game and we are extremely fortunate to to tie in those agreements early on um but retail is a passion business. It's a lifestyle. You know, if you're in it and you love it, it could be the best job of your life. Um, but I believe, so, I, I do believe that as an independent coffee shop, you kind of have to be owner operated to survive or you need to go with mass scale and mass investment um, to survive. Okay. okay. Interesting. Because I don't yeah. know. Hey, Mark, did you ever want to open a a restaurant or that type of thing. Does that ever cross your mind? I never really asked a bit. Um, no, I think as a, maybe as a passion project, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be opening. I think a lot of people have the idea of the, that kind of central park, uh, central park kind of cafe style where people can just yeah. go relax, read a book and you'd have a cool artwork and there'd be loads of books there. And so, but like, I don't know how much money that would actually generate. So it would be kind yeah. if I, if I could keep it taking over and employ a few people, that would be a, a nice to have, but I've never really thought of it. I just look, it just looks like such a stressful, high paced, uh, business r- restaurants, cafes. And that's what I was going to ask you, Gareth, like when you were younger, did you have anything that you wanted to any kind of business that any sector or anything that you were passionate about? Or did you, or did you just kind of want to be an entrepreneur and sell like myself when I was younger, just sell anything that kind of came your way and you saw, you thought you could make a few quid on or, or scale it up a little bit. Uh, you know, did you kind of fall into these things? It sounded like you kind of fell into these things and, and just applied your kind of kind of passion and, and kind of do it attitude to it. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a good question. And and as as you say that, I'm just trying to find some of these little mementos that I keep. Um, but essentially, um, a, few, a few different things happened to me early on, like I suppose, um, my granddad was was um, a famous politician in America. This is actually this is actually him. So he like he was best pals with John F. Kennedy. Oh wow! Oh, wow! Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. So so what I kind of um, it's really interesting that like I grew up listening to stories of of him being this great man and um, and like my mom was 
you know, his videos playing in the Oval Office and things like that as a kid with John Jr. And, and like this, this amazing like family history. And then my parents set up a fruit juice business, um, which unfortunately ended when they got divorced when I was very young. But I remember when, uh, when, when the, uh, I remember being a kid playing in the pot on the pallets, you know, taking out the fruit juice and like, you know, they, them getting in trouble for, for, for my misbehavior, you know, yeah. but I remember all that sort of stuff uh, growing up and my family hit a bit of a rough, rough patch then after that. And like, I, I never had much money and I just remember thinking I could make money, you know, and uh, that really gave me an urge to, to make money. But to answer your question in terms of what would I like to do initially, I really wanted to get into re- renewable energy and like, I think renewable energy, so crucial for our world and like it just was really tough because no one wanted to spend money at the recession during the recession and we tried everything from solar to wind to led and back then i mean you couldn't even sell to people 80 percent savings like people were just so scared of you know the the, it's easy to forget how crazy it was back then you know it's something that comes um, up so much on the podcast as well especially people around maybe our age as well who just maybe just left college just at that time where there yeah. was everything, everything was just on hold for like and then i was saying this to because i actually left at that stage i went to canada for a few years uh or yeah. for a couple of years and uh i remember telling because things were when i left ireland things were like going really well in vancouver and like they had kind of gotten over it and uh they were like i was telling them like back home everything's still on hold they're still you know these europeans coming in trying to sort out the finances and everyone's just kind of yeah. waiting for uh things to get going again um so yeah, see in australia yeah it's uh it's it's easy to but, but then again it. that's that's when you can actually really kind of pursue an opportunity and, and make the most of it you know exactly, you down. Yeah. exactly. like like that you might as well <laughs> you know <laughs> you know much Georgia street is is high retail now but when when we were looking for spaces i mean there was 12 empty lots you know on Georgia uh-huh. street so like we were able to go in as young guys and, and impress the landlord and get a shot you know whereas like why i left crust and w- one of the main reasons was every guy with his cat was setting up a coffee shop, you know, and like they were paying mad money to, to, to fit out a coffee shop. Like I, I met someone who spent 250 grand on a, on a coffee shop fit out. Like, and I'm like, you know, how many cups do you have to sell? To get that back? It doesn't make any sense. It's and like as nice as the coffee shop looks and amazing it looks and people come in and say, wow, like, I mean, it just didn't make financial sense to me. And like, you're competing against grossly dis- disproportionate uh, uh, investment. And like, that's why I just decided like, you know, it, it's the market's getting too heated um, in that sector, uh, personally. Um, it's a, it's a question for you, Gareth. Why is there no obvious no well not maybe there is a few but why isn't there as many drive-through coffee uh shops in ireland hey, did you ever think of that like because in america and in canada they're everywhere and they seem to be making an absolute fortune yeah i suppose it's it comes down to convenience like so in america a lot of places are perfectly convenient through uh on your way to work so you can literally pull off the side of the road and and, and pull in and get this coffee. We actually don't have a lot of uh, vacant space 
if you look around Dublin for these sort of food stalls or food trucks or coffee coffee vans, you know, like we to pull in off the road and, and do that, it's all quite condensed. Um, so like if you think about driving around the city centre, um, where could you pull off? I mean, it's hard enough to find parking. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. segue well, the next. N eleven really anywhere there's a there's a petrol station. Uh, yeah, yeah, petrol stations petrol stations are good, and that's why they sell it inside. Uh, but yeah, but even even now, like at the time at the time when I first thought of it ten years ago, and it still hasn't happened since when I was in Canada, and and the drive through nature of it, I, I would imagine that's only a good thing for people now not having to have any contact with people, having to go into the shop. I'd be surprised. Maybe somebody is in the middle of, of you know, planning it. But uh, anyway, See, I just thought I'd ask you because you you know coffee. Yeah, you, you got to think about it as well from from the the station owners' perspective. Like we we pitched to potentially put cross coffee machines in in all the petrol stations. You got to think from from their point of view as well. They make nearly more money now. Like look at Aqua Greens, right? They make more money from getting you inside and spending than they do from from the fuel, you know. Yeah. Uh, so essentially their business model derives off you going in, and that's the same for every uh, petrol station. Like the fuel is getting so competitive that they would need to make more money out of, out of you from getting inside. So you go inside and the coffee machine is big business. Like, you know, they're, they're, that's why now in some petrol stations you go in and the coffee machine like scans your face and gets you a coffee, you know, it's bloody class. Yeah. Like they're, they're uh, like these huge walled units with, with the bells and whistles because you know, it's, it's big business for, for them. And I suppose if they're making the money that way, why, why would they put uh, a coffee truck outside you know there's my there's my answer then yeah. maybe that's, well, that's it's, why it's been like that for a long time I, I worked in Texaco back in the day uh, when I was about 18 um, I did a terrible job I was there only in body <laughs> you know, I didn't didn't really give a lot you know um, yeah. but it was an interesting model as well because it was the same back then they didn't uh, like they they didn't make a few pennies here and there on the on the fuel they were more worried about people driving off for the fuel that was the the most uh, important thing but they, they did made money on like scratch cards and uh car washes that's kind of what the game was so getting people in getting them gambling getting them washing is the was the key but i i like the the i like where mark's heads at with that because it maybe not for petrol stations but also for other things like in canada there's drive drive through off licenses i don't know how that maybe that's not a good idea but the you know drive through insurance places you drive through they you know you get your insurance set up and then you drive yeah. off you know yeah drive through anything convenient really is is a good win yeah. like i think you know like i always thought as well like the uh, car wash you know they have this big red automatic car wash in in texas um and like I saw it, and it's basically a container, which you buy the container and it folds out and it's an automatic machine car wash and as many cars go through the bloody thing, you know, and you pay at the front and you you go through and just thought like, what, you know, why, why do you have to, in some petrol stations, have a guy who literally does one car and you're waiting 20 minutes, you know, you could have three, four containers. Yeah like away you go you know it's pay pay for play um so there's lots of innovation out there it's just people actually haven't heard of it and um, don't know about it or 
it just hasn't fit the market model at the, at this moment in time you know like a lot of petrol stations right now are gearing up to do electric vehicle stuff um so hopefully there's some entrepreneurs out there in renewable that are still with you know are thinking about how do i connect in with uh energy uh, electric sorry electric vehicle on that new network you know so there's so that's something really interesting i just had a thought there say if you guys are like the the so you're not making any money on the petrol or the diesel or whatever now um you might okay you're probably not going to make that much money on charging people's cars but they do have to sit there for a half an hour they're going to go in and buy all types of stuff it's a better deal for them perhaps because it's like a cap, captive audience you know what are you going to do for that 20 30 minutes put a little bookies in the corner i don't know get get creative you know um <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's uh it's gonna work out but yes bookies <laughs> yeah exactly uh but what's so after after that you, you mentioned that there was some burnout maybe you wanted to move on do something else um you went from there into a software uh business or a platform business how what was that transition like where where did that kind of come from yeah so so i suppose very early on and and this this i think will resonate with a lot of um i call traditional business owners so I, I think there's two different types of entrepreneur business right now in the world. There's traditional, which is, you know, the, the coffee shop, the restaurant, the hotel, etc., And uh, the insurance, the legals, all of this is traditional. And, you know, they, there's, they're very proven business models. And like, if you do well, you know, there's, there's, thousands of stories that you can look at that give you advice and guidance on what they did, what they did right and what they did wrong. And then there's technology, which is a new type of business. It's a new landscape. Like in 10 years, can you imagine that what we've done since the first iPhone, you know, it's, it's, it's insane. And every year it's rewritten as to what's the new best practice, new, scalable technology new trend etc so i got very frustrated that i felt as you know as a young achiever i felt like i'm hiring all these people i'm in the center of town i'm going after big ambition why is the government giving away half a million euros to this company that's pre-revenue you know has no idea how like no experience in business before nothing yeah. and half a million euros you know like I, I was really angry at that and i was just I, I was in the middle of writing a blog my first ever vlog about how if they gave a hundred traditional businesses five thousand euros that they would create way more employment than if they gave one startup te- technology company half a million euros that five thousand would buy a new coffee machine or a you know you know, a new, new can, printer yeah. set up or something. And, and like, it's, 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 it's really worth thinking about how traditional businesses are key employers, you know, like, like all those jobs and the government doesn't really look after entrepreneurs in this country. Like, you know, there was, when we were starting out, you know, there was no uh, social, social security really, you know, it's like, <laughs> You go on this wild journey, no one tells you how many pitfalls there are. And then if you do make it, they'll taxi it like crazy. You know, it's yeah. kind of makes no sense to even want to try. But they, 
I just got very annoyed that I I had to pay rates. I had to pay for, you know, uh, Dublin uh, business development, whatever, and I wasn't getting any benefit. I had to pay for then the, the health and safety inspector was coming in and making us change things every six months. Then I was, they always have to find something, you know, that's their job. Yeah. Building regulations was it brought in. It was a brand new regulation body. And they came in and they, it cost us 30 grand to fix the stairs, you know, like a 30 centimeters too short. Like it was literally madness. And for me, it was just when I was looking at technology, I said, there's none of this regulation. It's not tight. It's, you know, it's open free uh, for, for ripe for innovation and create new, new opportunities. And I just thought, I just thought that instead of giving out and complaining, which I'd never do, you know, like halfway through the blog, I was like, like this isn't me. Like, I just don't like complaining. Yeah. I said, you know, if, if that saying just hit me, it was like, if you can't beat them, join them. You know, it was like a, it was like a technology landscape. So it was, I was in a stage actually where I was fairly burnt out. Um, like when you work 20 hour days, seven days a week, you, you have the energy to do that in your early twenties. And like, I just wasn't enjoying it. Like, you know, my friends will tell you, you know, back then I was just working all the time and like, you know, you think you'd enjoy it a lot more, but in hospitality, everything that can go wrong does go wrong. Like, you know, there's a great movie called the founder. It was, um, uh, about the McDonald's, uh, Ray Kroc, and the whole story behind that. And it sums it up perfectly. It's like, you know, his opening day, no one shows up. <laughs> you know, like all the build-up for opening day, no one shows up. Then they go, right, we'll throw a party. Everyone will show up. Everyone shows up for the party, and then they get invaded by wasps because they smell the sweet, you know, <laughs> smell in the air. And... Uh, the wasps come and flooding and everything that happens when you own like a hospitality industry, like uh, a hospitality uh, business. And like, I remember sitting in for an interview and the roof starts leaking on the interviewer's <laughs> head, you know, it's like random stuff that really stresses you out. And, and uh, anyway, hit burnout at a very early age and realized like, you know, I need to reevaluate what, what I'm doing here. And, like my co-founder had just up and left abruptly. Uh, so I had literally everything on my plate. Uh, so hit that burnout stage and took a little bit of time off. And uh, anyone who's who hits that stage will know it takes a mental toll. You, you really have to step back uh, from the business. And, you know, thankfully, I was able to do so and um, for, for, for three or four weeks and uh, in that time, I reflected and found that, you know, I really enjoy innovation and found that in 20 years, if I was doing this, would I be happy? And I, I said, no was the answer. So I started to look at other things and I got an idea one day. I bought a car um, purely because my my girlfriend at the time, now fiance, um, she was uh sick of getting the bus in from Raffarnham. And uh, so I bought a car and the first day with the car, I couldn't find parking. We were driving through Ranla and like, 
it was just mayhem. 20 minutes yeah. of up and down uh, past Smith's Bar there. And then I started to see all this open space in front of people's driveways. And I just said, you know what? I used to work in electricity while I was getting crossed up and running. Uh, and we had no money. I was doing electricity in the evenings, knocking on people's doors, <laughs> asking would they like to change their electricity <laughs> supplier. And I just uh, thought, look, I'll go and knock on her door on this person's door and see if uh, they'll they'll let me park. <laughs> and so I did. I knocked on the door, and this this kind lady opened, and I just said, "Listen, I'm really stressed out and can't find this space anywhere. Is there any chance I could just leave it here for a few hours?" And, she said no problem, which uh, which I was really surprised at. And I came back a few hours later with some chocolates and ten euros, and just said thanks so much. And she was delighted, like she was like, "Oh, geez, I should do this all the time." And we had a good laugh. And then I got back in the car and said, "You know what? I Airbnb the house. Why can't people Airbnb your rent out their parking?" Yeah. And that's where Park PMP and the idea came from. And, so I had had that initial idea it's, um, it's for such, a technology company. It's such a, a huge problem, Mike. I well, I was, I was driving around Dunleary. Uh, I used to live in Dunleary. I live in Greystones now, and yeah. we were driving around and around looking for like any type of park down the seafront anywhere, and it was just snail's pace going around. I think it took us about forty minutes, and I was just like, "This is the." This is the worst experience I think I've ever had. I've had in the last month. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's um, so stressful. So sorry, sorry. brutal. And then you're trying to then you're trying to back into a spot, and then people are are trying to get around you. I'm like you know, anyway. Um, and if you're a bad parker like me as well, you know, you look at the spot about six times yeah. before. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I'll tell you, I gotta take a swing at that if I'm gonna make it. It's uh, it's not one of my fortes. And then usually when I get out, I'm about a mile away from the the uh the curve yeah. there but yeah. so so okay this is this, this is great right we've got this we've got this problem you're solving your own uh itch as they say um you, you right now you've been an entrepreneur for a few years so you've got all of those type of chops but the from a technology point of view how do you even go about figuring out uh, like a platform or is that something that's kind of outsourced do you need a technical co-founder what would be the best route to get that going yeah so so I suppose the benefit of having been in business a couple of years, I wasn't, um, I wasn't hundred percent sure on the business idea. And I had other ideas before, like, like I was mulling in my head, this other idea called flight cred. And it was basically like a prepay, uh, prepay, uh, trip. So I was mulling over, um, the two ideas the the, the prepaid, it was like a, like, you know how many times your friends and you would say, let's go to a Beats next year or something like that. And yeah. like, you can't afford it right now, but you'd like to book in the cheap rate now. So it was basically like you could book in the cheap rate and then pay it down over time until, until the thing. So I thought that was a genius idea. I was going to do it. And then this came up. So I had to research the market. And I spent about a month researching the market. And I found that, um, I found that there was some companies now doing very similar uh, to Park PMP in America and were growing quite quickly. Um, and the market just looked so ripe for disruption. Like, I mean, you had the old players, parking operators who hadn't changed in 40 years. You know, you had this, this 
wave of technology and people using their mobile phones to make payments. You know, there was so many good positive uh, signs to to make this happen. And it's also what what it came down to was, was, are you solving a daily problem? And with flight cred, this isn't a daily problem. With Park PNP, it's a daily problem. You know, parking is a pain in the ass for a lot of people on a daily basis. And so that's that's what made me decide um, Park PNP over over flight cred. And and I think that's um, in the research phase, you realize you you need a technical co-founder. And that was my next step was to, was to um, to go about um, was to go about finding a technical co-founder, and the step after that was to was to go about actually validating what an MVP would look like, and would people actually put their spaces on onto um, onto the platform, which which we we which which we did. So I'm trying to keep it micro because I know you want to want to keep it micro yeah. for for listeners out there. Absolutely. How how I did it was I got lucky. Um, I got lucky in that I was delivering pastries to a Bank of Ireland uh, catering event, and Bank of Ireland were big sponsors of us. Thanks, Bank of Ireland. Um, they put me on every bank in the country <laughs> with with the Crust logo. So huge shout out to them. Um, they they bought catering off us and I arrived with the pastries and I saw this, uh, these guys on stage pitching uh, their tech business and I watched it and I just thought, you know, their, their product, their app and website looked really slick. Um, but I thought their business model wasn't great. Um, and I, I thought that they were all developers. So I figured, you know, that makes sense. Uh, they need a commercial mind behind it so i asked them when they come in and sit down in crust and have a coffee and a, a donut and chat about it and uh, this new idea so i presented the idea uh, of park pmp to them and said look guys we're only going to take a month of your time if you build this mvp i'll go out and knock on 300 doors and get 300 parking spaces for our mvp so that validates the business side uh, on the supply and then you have the minimum viable products on the app and website so it's not going to take you more than a month um, of your time in exchange i'll give you some some equity uh, once we start the business uh, because i can't pay you and because i did go out to the market asking agencies if they'd build this for me and they yeah. you know got quoted some insane uh, figures <laughs> Um, like one guy quoted me like half a million quid, you know, it's, it's mental. Uh, yeah. So did you look further field guard outside yeah, Ireland? Yeah. Yeah. Briefly, briefly. I was, I was fortunate enough that I didn't have to look for too long. Like I got, I got lucky in this scenario, but um, I would recommend to look and more, more likely I'd recommend to go to events and, and meet people. I, I, I think, I think a technical co-founder is is someone you have to gel with and sees uh, sees the sort of way you do in a way. It's it's kind of hard to un- understand this, but different uh, different programmers and developers are are um, 
are different in the way that they they operate and like a good CTO not doesn't just build it but also can sort of see the product with you um and and that's I'm very fortunate Daniel Paul is my co-founder he's a he's a tech genius you know he's he's probably the brightest young mind in the country when it comes to this sort of stuff and um he's brilliant and I'm very fortunate to have him as my as my partner so uh, would you recommend that a, that a technical co-founder is probably the most realistic way to do it for a startup you know as opposed to outsourcing it to to somebody and having to spend that money you know because it's a lot of money yeah i think i think to be honest not everyone is 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 as luxurious you know uh, or sorry is as lucky and uh, has it has the luxury of of having a technical co-founder i like i i totally understand the supply and demand of that side of things and like um not everyone can find a good technical co-founder is the honest answer and like uh you know, it, it, it's really supply and demand. I would say that like, you know, there are more and more, um, of these guys and girls out outside of Ireland and technology, the way it is, I would recommend, uh, zoom calls with, with people in, uh, central Eastern Europe, India, Pakistan, you know, there's lots of, lots of Thailand, there's lots of remote working happening and, uh, because of that you can pay less as well so so you can find people outside of outside of the country that don't have the cost of living as we do you know and i was just they have at the end of the day if they're co-founders they have to have the same mindset lots of other things that it has to be aligned more about mindset and and skill than it is about location these days you know yeah like forget about the boundary we set ourselves now in like i have to come meet you and see it you know that yeah. that doesn't mm-hmm. happen that's that's not the future lads yeah <laughs> but i think i think that you'd be hard pressed to find so the i think there's a yin and the yang here to the the relationship there where the the technical guys not that they not that they're opposed to this but knocking on 300 doors is not where their a lot of their skills uh lie you know so if you can get the anyone who can get the the, the business in uh, is worth uh, being a partnership with, you know. Um, so that's really interesting okay. too. There's, pro- there's so many examples of famous kind of one's a big thinker, and then you know a duo. One's a big thinker, entrepreneur, mm. risk taker, and then the other is is the tech guy. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's like a, a real proper partnership, and and the fact the fact is is that like you know you both balance each other out. You know, it's it's like I tried Code Academy, you know, just to get a basic understanding. And like, I mean, it's a different type of learning and like some people have it and some people don't. And it's about understanding your strengths and your weaknesses. Like I'm, I'm not a a technical person when it comes to programming. I'd rather leave it to the experts, you know, and it's, uh, but I'm, I'm good at presenting what, what my idea is. So it's it's about learning how, what's the most efficient way of presenting your idea so that's easily easily consumable for for this person as well, and vice versa. Um, and the better you get at that, the better um, it is on both sides, and better it is for for scaling up your business. Um, you know, if you're not presenting the idea well enough how can they be expected to build it as, as you, as you see in your head, you know? 
And so with the Park PNP, after the MVP uh, kind of thing is, is built, is it kind of enough that it, it can be kind of functional when you go around and get the 300 people and stuff like that? Or is there another whole, like, is there a way to forward after that? that yeah, kind of I, I, I was very clear from day one in that I wasn't going to leave a multi-million euro business for for to start another organic business. You know, I was very uh, straight in that, like if we were setting this up, we were going to scale it and raise money and, and go that route and uh, find investors. So when we got the MVP set up, I went out pitching investors and like we were pre-revenue and we raised half a million euros pre-revenue. Yeah. Um, and this was, you know, four years ago. Um, and we we raised the half a million euros with the help of Enterprise Ireland, who matched half as well. Nice. And um, and we we built the product, built out the team, and and started to go out and list parking spaces all across the country. So down down to Cork was our second city launched, and now we have twenty four thousand spaces in Ireland up for rent. Um, we work with Eurocar Parks and Q Park and Parkright and all of those guys to 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 put their spaces up. The convention center, for example, um, and then what happened was we we were scaling into Belgium and the Netherlands and live in those two cities. And an interesting thing happened. We we were trying to raise a Series A. Uh, uh, investment of about five million, and instead we raised a million, and we decided to look at another solution that we were we were um, running with called Park Office. So, essentially, a, a large company, a pharmaceutical company, had asked us, could we um, could we find them fifty parking spaces in the Park PMP marketplace? And so we went out and we found 50 parking spaces in the area um, for them. And when we went in, it was actually me who was going in to sign the contracts with them. And uh, uh, I remember it was 50 spaces and it was something like 65 or 70 grand a year, I think it was. Like it was a big contract for us at the time. Like, yeah. And we were going in and... Uh, I drove into the car park and lads, their car park was empty. Like it was dead. It was so empty that I drove in and I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. You know, like why would they want to spend all this money and have an empty car park underneath them? So most people would hold their, you know, bite their tongue and not say anything, but like, I just couldn't help it. I was too curious. I went up and I said, look, guys, you're spending all this money, but I have to ask, and I know I'm probably shooting myself here. Like, why do you have all, like, why are you paying me this money if you have all this space in your car park? And they said it's because that space is for senior management, but they're out on meetings, out sick or on holidays. And the space is left empty. And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah, it's really hard to, organize who gets the space if they have left it and things like that and i was just like that that makes no sense and uh they were like you know do you have an, a solution for it and i said i might <laughs> and, uh, and uh, so we went back to 
the drawing board and we created Park Office. And Park Office has, in the last 18 months, scaled very quickly. Um, we just hit our, our milestone there of 10 Fortune 500s. And we're working with some of the biggest names uh, globally. Um, so Amazing. essentially what we do is hot desking for parking spaces. Um, and we manage the parking spaces and maximize the use of the parking. And we've actually since COVID, you know, nearly nearly doubled the amount of demonstration calls we've been doing because people are f- scared of public transport. Okay. And, I was uh, thinking that might be damaging. I didn't see the angle with the public transport. But of course, everyone yeah, doesn't want to be yeah, packed in and, anymore. And also the rotation of space. So a lot of people are working from home for two, three days a week now. Yeah. And other people then who are working two, three, two to three days want to come into the office when they're not working, who yeah. didn't have a space before. So who manages all that rotation? And that's us. So mm. like we, we've had this sort of weird bounce of like Park PMP, obviously with lockdowns, unfortunately gets hit pretty hard, but Park offices continue to grow steadily Um from from February, you know, and it's uh, amazing. Like now, now we're in a in a, in an incredibly fortunate position where, you know, we're we're talking to some of the biggest names in the world, and I, you know, I can't even say uh, the names under yeah. NDA, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you've oh. used them, <laughs> okay, and uh, you used them a lot during uh, lockdown. So oh. you know, it's it's that's the that's the position we're in, and. And is the, from a like a user perspective, Garrett, is is that an app similar to Park PMP? You know that the that the staff use. Yeah, so so we started off as like having one or two solutions, but now we're sort of a matrix of solutions. We have like lots of different smart solutions for different uh, different situations. So I give you one situation. We have uh, a company in LA, and they've four and a half thousand employees coming in every day and they have uh, two parking lots okay and one parking lot is right beside the headquarters and one is five minutes down the road so which do you think everyone goes to in the morning yeah first one. right yeah. first one so what happens in the morning everybody all three of us are driving in we go to the first one we drive up all the different levels we can't find a space and they were chaos all the way back down and they were out into traffic again and we're driving down and we're into the second one. That extra time could be 10 minutes every day to your morning routine, right? And like you're talking a thousand people a day have this 10 minutes problem. These are some of the most well-paid executives in the world have this 10 minute gap every single day or you know it's an affliction right so a huge cost uh, burden so one of our simple solutions is essentially um we track the occupancy so that on your app you get notified when the car park is 90 percent full and say hey mark you know you're probably better off from where you are right now to go to car park b and you're much more likely to get a space and then we also encourage you to take public transport and things like that and challenges and reducing the need for space as well. So it's not just the parking element that we do now as well. So it's, it's, um, 
you know, that's one smart solution out of the matrix, but it's essentially um, uh, uh, making parking a smart, uh, uh, a, a smart bringing a smart culture of parking to your business. Um, when before what you had was was zero, um, effectively, and parking is the beginning and end of every journey. One of the reasons I loved uh, loved it since the start is because it's really unsexy. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like you know when they say like that more you make more money in the in the dirty businesses. Like who the hell thinks of parking? You know, it's like nobody wants to think about it, but yet everybody does it on a daily basis. And it's one of those things that is in mobility and smart mobility is the future and uh, it's prime real estate as well. There's there's just as much parking space in America as there is office space. So that's a huge amount of, uh, of, of real estate that's just lying there. It's such, um, a, it's such an interesting one because it's so, it's like I said, it's, it's a real pain, but people, like I said, it's not really thinking about that. I remember me and Mark have always said that, that we, it would be great if we just had some, uh, you know, those uh, parking complexes and then just kind of retire. But like the yeah. other day, like talk about just lack of choice, whatever. I was in town and I was, I think like, my wife was, was pregnant, so we couldn't really get the, tra- the yeah. stuff in. So I think we ended up paying something like 23 euro for parking. Uh, broke my heart when I got to the, to the thing, but there was no... I didn't use any apps or anything. It was just literally just drive up. This is the closest one. Okay, I'll go in here. Going in blind. There's so much improvement that could be do, done there. And it seems like you guys are really, uh, are really corner, cornering the market there. The like, Another one more comment on your unsexy businesses. One of my favorite businesses is here in uh, Wicklow. And I told Mark about it before. It's like you bring all of you. It's a big place. It's down near the Beehive. I always forget the name of it. But uh, you bring all of your, you know, uh, wood that you've uh you've cut down or all the kind of tree chippings anything like that any of the kind of garden waste they take it off off you for free put it through a mulcher and then se- sell it on the other end yeah it's called mulch it's just it might just be it might be called mulch, it's just, mulch. yeah i've seen that and I'm just, I'm just standing on the side of the road watching this where it's like <laughs> their inputs are free and it's literally yeah. just turning on a machine and it's been there for years like and i'm just it's one of those things where I'm like no one's no one's out there leaving college or pitching a mulch company but uh yeah you know what I mean? genius. genius so i don't know does lads, grow on trees the, lad, huh? the lads in collect.ie as well uh big shout out to them uh we were we were uh competitors in the um in the uh spark of genius award um but uh the, they, they they have like they've just brought trash collection online and literally like and skip rental and stuff like that and like huge business you know especially now during covid like you know skips and all that sort of everyone's home repair like all these businesses that people rarely think about mean there's less competition most likely higher margin and uh and and potentially a huge market and like look at taxis were taxi sexy before uber came along (laughs) <laughs> you know, no, um, yeah. I, 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 I laugh with some investors because, you know, this is just the beginning of this smart mobility uh, stage as well. Like, like I, there's so many good opportunities here um, when it comes to parking where like you can turn it into a, a benefit. Like, for example, subscription parking. You ever thought about paying a set fee and you get free access to spaces all around the city? You ever thought about um, 
where you can advertise. So like YouTube, you can watch an advertisement or like a five minute advertisement on your phone in exchange for free parking for an hour. You know, all these different uh, things that are, are the future that people just have to open their minds to. And, uh, you know, we're, we're well positioned to kind of have a, have a good stab at that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Park PMP and Park Office. Park Office is, is scaling uh, now quite well and where it's kind of more of a focus because it's the, the, the sort of the economics towards the business model are, are kind of lending itself. It's a SaaS company. Um, so it's much higher margin um, and essentially we charge per managing per space per month um, and it's an early market. So we're, we're kind of aiming and running fast at that sort of market leader globally. Um, and we, we feel in the next two years we'll be the dominant player in, in the market globally um, and uh, sort of like the sales force for, for, for management of, of parking. And then in, five to 10 years will be the, the sales force of, of smart mobility globally, um, which, which uh, yeah, is, is kind of an exciting goal. Endless possibilities there. Like it's, it's so crazy. It's such a interesting journey from, from going door to door with, uh, with pastries to taking on uh, the corporate giants of the, of the U S and their parking needs. Yeah. Usually at this stage, we're actually over an hour already. Time fucking flies sometimes. Um, so usually at this stage, we jump into like a lightning round of like uh, questions for the entrepreneurs that we have a chat with. Um, I think today we might do a curtailed version just because I want to be respectful of uh, Garrett's time here. Um, so Mark, what was your, if you, if, what are the three burning questions you've got there for, for Garrett? And uh, they don't have to be quick answers, but um, to be rapid fire. Okay, definitely. What's the best business idea you've never acted upon? Oh, the best one now. Flight, flight. Oh well, best best one actually was. Um, do you know Urban Vault? Have you ever heard of Urban Vault? Yes. So, so essentially, the the guys in Urban Vault um, created this energy performance contract, which essentially means that they'll put the LED lighting into your business and then uh, get get paid back through the savings. And uh, myself and Devin actually thought of that idea, put together a contract and pitched it to one business, but we never followed through on it. And I just see the lads nailing it and wish we had maybe followed through on it. But, uh, but yeah, look, everything happens for a reason and the lads are doing extremely well. Okay. More power to them. How much money is enough money? Ah, it's not about money, lads, to be honest. Money is all about getting you to one place of sustainability. As an entrepreneur, you know, obviously there's risks everywhere and everybody wants to tear you down, you know, from from your parents sometimes to your to to the government. You know, everybody wants to take you down, unfortunately. And it's a it's a it's a small support group. Um getting bigger, thankfully um but but it's a tough tough role and uh but if you do it just for money i think you, you won't go too far Um you have to enjoy what you're doing and you have to have passion to go through the tough times and money is a short-term uh short-term motivator for me anyway and for a lot of people i know in this space and um if you want to be really big i don't think money alone is is the uh is the motivator love that answer it's great Okay, two two more quick ones. If if you could do business anywhere in the world, and you probably are, um, where would it where where would it be? So where is it? Where's your favorite market? 
Great question. Um, we do have clients from New Zealand to LA. Um, so like just in terms of, oh man, it's a, that's a tough one because I've been in San Francisco, you know, I absolutely love the optimism and the, the energy and the buzz, the ideas, but then it's so expensive to, to make a move there. You know, it's like rent is astronomical. It's like two, three times Dublin, you know, it's wow. mental, uh, it's also much tougher to, to, you know, you have to raise a lot more money to get things off the ground and it's much tougher than setting up here. Um, and then you go the other way. And I think, you know, the market is kind of really nice in, in Ireland and that we're kind of not right. We're not as heavily regulated as other European countries like Belgium and, and France, you know, which have a lot of taxes and company taxes and charges and different things. Um, Ireland's a very good market to start, but it's a really difficult market to scale, especially as a consumer business. Um, that's why I'm so impressed by Devon, you know, and by me. I think yeah. it's an incredible, like very rare that a consumer business does well in, in Ireland. Um, and a lot of great entrepreneurs have tried. Uh, but B2B, it's a great in, it's a great starter market because we have access to the biggest companies in the world right here in ireland uh and and then they link us out into the the mothership you know yeah uh, and that's been very lucky uh, very good for us and um yeah so so i would say if you're starting a b2b start in ireland um or somewhere similar uh if you're starting a b2c you know uh, i would never start in a small country uh b2c because it's unless you're just doing a very quick beta and then you're moving out. Um, it's just such a tough market to scale in. Okay. Nice. Last one. If you could advise someone to learn one skill, what would it be? One skill. Hmm. There's so many, <laughs> uh, one skill read, read more. It's it's not even a skill. It's just read more, read as much as you bloody can, and upscale on everything you read. You know, it's like read about people who've done it before you, and and uh, and take their learnings. Like I could easily just say programming or whatever, but lots of people won't get that. You know, I could easily say accounting, basic accounting. More, a lot of people are really bad with numbers, so I'd say you know, it's, it's hard to pick a, one specific skill um, because there's lots that would help. So I would say read as much as you can um, and pick up, pick up the, the nuggets from that. Um, if, if that any helps. book, any book you'd recommend for an entrepreneur? Ah, the 5am club. I always keep it within fairly close distance. Wow. That was close. That was right there. Uh, the, the, the... Yeah. I consistently read a chapter over coffee pretty much every every morning or two and wow it's just it's just mindset stuff it's it's uh it's brilliant it's brilliant he, he talks about it's all about getting your mindset right um as an entrepreneur which i think is half the battle you're you're up against yourself mostly um and if your mindset's not right it it uh slows you down or stops you so Amazing. We'll definitely that. look into that. One more question. Would you like a t-shirt or would you prefer a mug? What do you get? What do you think? 
uh, mug lads you know, unless stocks low and then t-shirt no 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 <laughs> we'll, we'll uh, definitely sort out a mug um, so uh, Garrett Flower thank you so much for joining us today an incredible story and uh, just uh, what's really nice about this one is because it's, it's, it just seems like it's right in the middle sometimes we've got people that have just started um their business some people have kind of sold their business and it's kind of it's a kind of looking back but we love to talk to people that are actually in the trenches uh and doing so well so thanks very much for spending so much time with us this evening and, uh, and, and i just say um i just recently launched a, a youtube channel garrett flower so um i appreciate it just a push on that 100 something new i'm yeah. doing yeah it's excellent i checked it out i'd, I'd recommend everybody go visit it i'll put that uh, in the show notes as well appreciate that Appreciate that. Perfect. Thanks very much. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Gary. Yeah.